Hey gang, do you find yourself listening to your music on one app and then listening to your podcast on another app? If you do, stop this insane behavior right now and download Spotify. Spotify is home to all of your favorite music and all of your favorite podcasts. Podcasts including Fly on the Wall, the Saturday Night Live podcast with Dana Carvey and David Spade, the Rock on Tours podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt, old favorites like Fresh Air, My Favorite Murder, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Look, if you're looking for a news podcast or sports or entertainment or true crime, look, if you're if you're looking for a sewing podcast or an RV podcast, Spotify has all of this for you. That's Spotify, all of your favorite music and all of your favorite podcasts in one place. Find it in your app store and start listening today. That's Spotify, music and podcasts. Let's get down. Hey, gang, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of How Did I Get Here? I know you have a lot of choices out there, and the fact that you're listening to this episode right now is not lost on me, so thank you. I'm not sure what platform you're listening on, but whatever platform you're on, give us a follow. And if you like what you hear, leave us a rating. It takes just a second, and it means the world to me. Plus, it really helps the show. So thank you in advance. And remember, the last 100 episodes of How Did I Get Here are available on all streaming services. Now, enjoy the show. Johnny, I'm your host. Welcome to the show. I hope you guys have all had a good week, whatever it is you do during the week. I've had a really good week, gang. I've done a lot of podcasts. So I'm taking, uh, I'm taking December off from doing the actual interviews and having the conversations. Uh, so that means that I have to double up on November. So this week was the kind of the start of like a whole lot of podcasts. I'm still, still going to be doing them, but I have a skyrocket rehearsal here in a bit because we got a big show coming up with horns in a couple weeks. We're doing a, a completely different set, pretty much. So I've been learning songs. Got to go. There you go. All right. So they're working outside. <laughs> they're doing some construction at my apartment here, uh, outside the apartment. And uh, the whole building, like they're repainting it and hammering and, and sawing and doing all this stuff. But they've they've decided to set up the saw and the hammer stuff right outside my window, I guess because they were looking for the guy in this whole apartment building with uh, with the most sensitive microphone. <laughs> anyway, so if you hear hammering and sawing right now during this intro and outro, that's what it is. They're working over here. Anyway, I've been doing a lot of podcasts, been meeting a lot of incredible people, hearing a lot of great music. And uh, I actually had a reconnection yesterday with this band called Those Who Dig, which were a band here in Austin, like an eclectic kind of like college rock band in the early 90s. Like before alternative rock became like super intense and heavy, there was sort of that REM uh, talking heads kind of vibe and silly lyric stuff. And that's kind of what the indie college rock world had, you know, drizzled on it. Dancing, you know, white kids dancing with their glasses, kids in college. <laughs> anyway, uh, there was a band called Those Who Dig here in Austin in the early 90s that I loved. <laughs> Sorry, this hammering is crazy. Um, that I loved a lot. I loved Those Who Dig. And I went out and saw them and I got their record and I remember doing some shows with them. And uh, I actually had uh, Rod Sherwood, 
from the band on the show yesterday. We had a really great conversation. And it turns out that like not only had I done shows with them because I was I was texting the bass player from my old band, Mr. Rockababy, and going like, did we do shows with them? He's like, no, we never we never did shows with them, but we liked them a lot and we went and saw them. And then I started listening to the record that came out in back in 93 and the first song, Mr. Banana Head, I started singing along with it. I was like, holy shit, I was obsessed with this song and this band. And then it turns out they sent me, a, before we did the podcast, they sent me an old poster from, uh, from April of 1993 where it was Mr. Rocket Baby and those who dig on the same bill at this club called Chances, which is now Cheer Up Charlie's here in Austin. And, uh, and so I, I was glad that I proved Brad right because I thought we had done a show together. And I knew I was obsessed with that song. And this, this guy, Rod, when we got on the podcast, he's like, dude, yeah, you, you tracked me down and, and, and basically like, let's get together and write a song. We got together one afternoon and worked on some music. But anyway, uh, it was nice to reconnect with Rod and, uh, and see him and talk to him about the old days, 90s Austin. There's a lot of those podcasts coming up. There's a lot of them. Yeah, I'm got uh, Kerry Clark. Uh, Chepo Pena, um, Nanette La Bastida is going to come on. Just a straight up fan, Nancy Copeland. I've got. I'm I basically. I'm going back in Austin history and like peppering these shows throughout the weeks with like old school Austin stories. And the Those Who Dig one is a great one. It, it's it's uh it's almost like they were playing the opposite of all the places that they talk about in uh, a cur- uh, a curious mix of people, which I just had Greg Beats and, and Richard Weimark. It's so interesting to have this rich history and diverse history in this town of like all these different scenes that were happening. I heard there's a documentary being made about the back room here, which was uh, if you're not from Austin, it was a heavy metal club that was up the street where Emos is now on Riverside and it was there for a long time and it was the home of like hardcore hardcore hip hop shows heavy metal a lot of local music Mr. Rocket Baby played there a couple of times with our friends uh, Pariah had invited us to play there my friends Sims and Kyle and Jared and David and Shandon what a great band Pariah was anyway they invited us to play there at the at the back room but the back room was a little intense for me i didn't i didn't i didn't want to set up shop there and i think i think that this uh, i think this documentary says it all but anyway i'm going to try and get those guys on the show to talk about that and i guess over the next few months we'll be hearing about all the history of Austin and all of the different scenes which is pretty exciting for me at least i hope it is for you too i think you guys like those shows the numbers for a curious mix of people were really great Anyway, I'm going to be talking to another really, really great Austin artist today. The great William Wallace, guitar player and sideman, but also singer and songwriter, has just released his debut full-length record. It's called Lighthouse Keeper, and he did it here in Austin. I think he did it at the Congress House right before it closed down with an array of amazing musicians from here in Austin. Uh, John Green, the great drummer, Mark Hallman, my mentor and uh, former owner of the Congress House, Joshua Hogue, Warren Hood, Stefano Intellisano, uh, Shawnee Kilgore, Andre Moran, one of my favorite guitar players of all time, and my dear old friend Chris Nelson on the bass, my old friend from back at Whole Foods in uh, back in back in '91 at Whole Foods in Brody Oaks. Man, that's that's part of the music story. It's part of the music story. That's actually in a curious mix of people. Anyway, William Wallace, great songwriter, great great uh, singer. He, he's a really interesting songwriter. He's not, he's not like your regular, like, oh, this chick broke my heart kind of songwriter, right? He's, he's got songs about, uh, he's got a weird uh, song about 19th century mystic Helena, Helena Blavatsky. 
Uh, he's got a one about the romance between Harpo Marx and Amelia Earhart. <laughs> I'm serious, man. Songs about drunken Egyptologists, volcanic love, and the ghosts, both real and metaphorical, that hide just beyond the veil. I just read that last part from his bio, but that's pretty good. He's a really interesting cat. We have a really great conversation. We actually met some years ago. We both were playing in a band backing up our mutual friend, Daisy O'Connor. I was playing keyboards and he was playing guitar and we were in her band and played a show over at one to one bar that actually was filmed somewhere out there, probably on Daisy O'Connor's YouTube page. You can find it. But anyway, this record's fantastic. Great cast of characters playing great songwriters. Some of my favorite songs, the opening song, the title song, Lighthouse Keeper, which is kind of a rocker. I really love that song. Harpo and Amelia, that song's great. The Space Between Our Hearts is just absolutely like a tearjerker. And uh, the one you'll hear today is absolutely gorgeous, The Stars, My Destination. If you want to see William play and you live in Austin, next Wednesday on uh, Thanksgiving Eve, he will be playing November 22nd, Wednesday, November 22nd at 7 p.m. at New World Deli. Get out there and see the unique song stylings of the great William Wallace. So now without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with this amazing artist. I love him. We had a great, great time chatting. I'd love to write a song with him sometime, get his perspective, get out of my uh, Def Leppard lyric writing vibe. Why do I think I write songs like Def Leppard? I don't know. Anyway, without further ado, here's my friend, William Wallace. Let's get down. Before the sun first rose, there was nothing we could do. All the water in our hearts froze fast, the world began anew. And I finally woke up, I pulled these sheets across my eyes. To once and all dispel the myth That everything must rise This gravity that holds me down These creases on my mind It's erasing more than um, Where did you, first of all, where did you record it? Uh, Congress House. All right. So one of the last ones. It was so it was one of those things where like I recorded it. It's six, a Congress six it's, years ago. It's at Congress like the House. Congress House Wrecking Crew. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's a Congress House record, but I, I waited long enough to put it out right. that it was mastered at Cedar Creek. Okay. So, oh, that's awesome. So it's not the last record recorded at Congress House, but it's probably the last one released from Congress House. You never know. Unless there's others that are just sitting out there on shelves, because yeah. this one was on a shelf for a while. But yeah, it's um, Andre was at the controls, and Chris Nelson plays bass on it, and uh, yeah, that's I thought, I mean, it's, that's what I was saying. It's yeah, like, it's, it's, it's like the, their it is, wrecking it's the, crew. It's the wrecking crew. Yeah. It's you know, like I mean, even just, Hallman himself. Yeah, he plays mandola on there okay. and sings a little bit. I think. Um, and I mean, John Green's like my favorite drummer in the city. So one of mine you know, for sure. Yeah. Like he's up there. Um, so you know, I had to have John Green come in and play. I like the John and Chris combo as a they're, rhythm section. They're so and, good. They're yeah. so good together. Um, they're like the singer songwriters double trouble. Yeah, <laughs> and they just they just they can play everything. They yeah. like fall right into pocket. Like yeah. they're so good. I had Josh Hogue come in and play um, upright bass on some things. I guess he plays with a sleep of the wheel now. Okay. Um, and like Warren Hood came in and played fiddle and on one one or two tunes, and so it was just kind of like a like and Stefano, yeah. Oh my God, I I never actually met him before we did the the session, and he came in and was like, "You just more of that, like put some piano on it too, like right, some B three, right. just just like give me more of everything." Yeah, yeah. Um, so it ended up being just a really fun time. Um, you know, great crew of people. Um, you know, very comfortable kind of way to work, and then I put the record on a shelf and moved to England for four years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, 
That was in the time, like you and I played with Daisy yep. before then. Yep. Okay. Like and 2016, then, 2017, I think something we, did like some, we did some Daisy It just came games. up in my memories. Nice. I, I, in it my did. Facebook I just, memories. I just saw yeah. that the other day too, that yeah. we played at one-to-one bar, I think. Yeah. Um, some kind of like TV taping or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I forget what that was. You know what I remember really well from that? I was in Cabo up until the, like a couple <laughs> days before, like playing a show. Huh. Yeah. Oh, man, Cause I learned uh, those songs walking down the beach. That's nice. That's yeah. not a bad way to learn the tunes. Yeah. Yeah. I just remember we had like one rehearsal maybe at. Is that the drummer's house? It was at the drummer's house. Yeah. I remember that. Um, yeah. And then we played that show. It was fun. The, the thing that she posted was us just jamming something like off the cuff. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, remember that was, cool. it was a fun gig. I was playing a lot around that time, like right before I left the country. Like I was doing a lot of, a lot of gigs with a lot of different people mm-hmm. and it was. What took you out of the country, man? Uh, work. Okay. So I make video games um, oh, and cool. I had an opportunity to go and uh, sort of help run a studio in England for a few years. So who do you make video games with? Uh, right now I'm making mobile games with a company called People Fun. I don't know what that is. Um, they make a game called Wordscapes that I think everybody's got on their phone at one time or another. It's a little, you know, kind of a little word game, but doing something different with them. But it's great, you know. It's it's a nice like balance against the music where it's still a creative thing, but right, it's right. like a creative thing that pays the bills pretty well. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's that nice balance of. Uh, are are you, you know. famous in that world? I never. I have to ask people because I don't. I don't exist in that world. I have with this I, friend. Don't this, think anybody's famous in that world. Oh no, dude. There's this guy Star Long. You know him? Oh, I know Star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and and Gary. I, I mean, he's, and, he's fucking famous. And Miyamoto. Yeah, and yeah. There's there are there's a few rock stars in the in the games world, and I, I don't think I'm famous in games. Um, I think if you ask people who make you know MMOs or people in the Austin industry, um, I stay employed because I'm good. I'm not famous. That's I'm just good. good. <laughs> I, I had this thing where I've been friends with Star for I don't even know how like twenty five years, more than twenty five wow. years maybe. And it was just <laughs> I knew what he did and I knew he worked for this big company yeah. and he was a dude that was like had a great job. But I he started this company with Shooter Jennings and I had them on the podcast and I was like, So how did you guys meet? And Shooter Shooter's like Oh my God, when I, f- I fucking found out who Star was, I freaked out. I was like, what? And he's, because he lives in the world of video games. And yeah. Just is like a real. I don't think I knew that about, about Shooter Jennings. Huge video game guy. Huge. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that's, you know, a lot of the people in Austin came through the sort of origin systems like Richard Garriott right, right, uh, right. connection. And I guess I was like a year or two late for that, but I worked with a bunch of the guys who spun off at Origin, and I had seen you know, some friends at Origin when I was growing up. And uh, so it was always kind of like, you know, it was always peripheral to that scene. And then got to, I started working in games in like 2001. Okay. Um, so, you know, got to, got to work with a lot of the, the did, sort of secondhand group off of that. Did you grow up gaming? Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah, my my dad always had, you know, kind of the latest and greatest in the house. Um, did you, you have, know. like, one of those Radio Shack computers with, like, the cassette and stuff? We had, man, we had an Atari ST. Um, that was the, the first computer. computer yeah, okay. like a late 80s, like, Atari ST. I loved that thing. Um, and it actually, it was a pretty good little PC. But, you know, we had consoles and stuff, too, occasionally. And, you know, always had one Atari computer and other kind of cycling through the house. And so... Like, as much as, like, my parents, like, you know, had me, you know, growing up with, like, good music on one side and the latest in computers on the other side. And, and it really kind of just is the same, been the same thing for the last 30-something years. Pretty awesome. It's just music and games. Yeah. So. What, uh, 
what aspect of of the of the game are you part of? Like what what's your I'm I'm like for the last several years I've mainly been doing um, I'm the creative director um, so uh, or the the game director right so um, you know you've got designers designing things you've got uh, engineers making the code work you've got artists making the art work yeah. and there has to be somebody at the middle who kind of has the banner for like what fun is right right and everybody's got to meet in the middle on what yeah. that is so that you know at the end of the get day it feels like a game and not just like a, a bunch of people you know kind of going off in their own directions and that's what i do um so it's really hard to tell you like what i actually do for a living sure, sure. as much as it's got to be fun and if it's not fun that's my fault so <laughs> that's um, super cool man. yeah it's a it's an inch i came up through you know designing games and now it's sort of like the you know just sort of the the it's not. It's not middle management. It's just management. It's making sure that the project comes together um, and that it feels like a coherent thing. So that's not, awesome. It's not that different than making a record and making sure right, right, that right. a record. Like right. I produced a record last year for the first time for a friend. Um, and who'd you do? Um, my buddy Mailman Bob. Um, Bob's great. It was his first record. He's in. He's a, he's next. Sounds like he's friends with Matt the electrician. It's you know we've been joking that there should be a whole like show put together of people who are like them and their profession yeah. Yeah. like Matt the electrician. And were, were you were you around for Police Ice? Remember him? No, he used to be on cable. No, on cable I don't, remember, I don't remember Police Ice. He was a cop that rapped about being good and like, dude. Oh man, <laughs> he's oh, fucking no, right. Okay, it was like one of the best things to watch when you were super high. I gotta go to YouTube and find this because this sounds like I used to watch. You know, Access sometimes late at night. Uh, you know, in between like. Growing up in the 90s, it was like liquid television and cable access right, right. and the Austin Music Network and like kind of clicking around between yeah. all of those things. And I'm, I missed Police Ice. Oh, I'm man. I'm going to have to go do that. But no, Mailman Bob's great. He's a, he's a, I've known Bob for 10 something years. He's a retired mailman, um, but he's been writing songs for decades and he'd never made a record. And so, um, you know, I've known him for a long time and he basically was like, hey, can you get me in the studio and make a record? And so I pulled together like, uh, you know me and him and we did it at Matt Permenter's um, oh, Ice yeah. Cream Factory I love studio that. yeah I love that um, Ernie Jarawa came in and played drums wow uh, we got uh, the Bacas um, from uh, Los Sex Maniacs um, uh, like on Bajo Sexto that's so and, weird and uh, Accordion and uh, uh, sorry the podcast that's coming out tomorrow uh, they're playing an event for a friend of mine that she was on. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, so I well, just they, learned they just, they about just them Friday. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So we got all these great players and like really bring this sort of very um, like old fashioned Americana kind of style to life. And um, it reminded me a lot of what I do professionally though. Like it's the two worlds kind of coming together sure. where it's like, it just has to sound like a record at the end of the day. Yeah. And you know, it's like, all right, well if we pull a little bit of this and a little bit of this and if it all meets in the middle, it'll sound good. So did you produce Lighthouse Keeper? Um, you I mean, I, this, there's not a producer credited on it. Andre produced that as much as I did. Um, like he definitely, I, I like, I like that. I like the, uh, that. I, that's my favorite, my favorite style of making records. Yeah. Like, it was sort we're of, we're all we just, here. Yeah. We're all here. We're all throwing ideas in. Yeah. People suggested things. He made a lot of the connections for the people like Warren that I didn't really know. Um, you know, I'd just seen play or heard play and he brought like him and, yeah. um, Stefano and that, that, that crew in. So, you know, I think, yeah, it was, I think it was, it was sort of a collaborative effort, but you know, all credit to Andre on that one for making it sound so good. So such a superhero. Yeah. He's, he's just, he's, he's wonderful. I'm actually working with him for the first time in six years right now. We're doing a single, um, we cut most of it last week 
And, there uh, at the new Cedar Creek? Yeah, Cedar Creek. Um, killer, right? Oh, it's a great space. You um, stay up on that mic, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Just doing it so everyone. Um, no, it's a great space. It's uh it's I'd really wanted since I since he opened it up, I wanted to do something there. And um so we're doing a Halloween single last minute. Um What's the song? Um <laughs> so we're doing a Halloween You write si- weird songs. I do. Um, great songs, but they're the like subject matter, it's all it's all kind of like weird and skew and we're going to talk about this because i have some very specific questions oh i, about I it, love I specific questions yeah. about this and and the, the single is gonna is gonna prompt some of these questions because it's a song about the possession of the ursuline nuns the demonic possession of the ursuline okay. nuns at Loudon, france in 1634 um by the priest uh urban grandier um <laughs> I only have a few goals in music, Johnny, and one of them is like, so there's a movie about this. Um, Ken Russell made his film The Devils, um, I never saw uh, which is that's a '70s film, I think, about about the possession of the nuns, and it's very lurid and technicolor. Yeah, yeah. And um, Aldous Huxley actually wrote a book about it. Um, in between taking a bunch of LSD and writing Brave New World, wow. Um, he wrote a book about it in the '50s called uh, The Devils of Loudon, and so like, definitive film, definitive book. And so I wrote a song about 10 years ago about this that I've just been kicking around for a while. I'm like, someone needed to write the definitive song about it. And of course, because it's about a 400-year-old French possession, I decided to also make it a bluegrass song. So um, we cut it live in the studio last week with uh, Noah Jeffries and Trevor and Drew, the kind of bluegrass outfit from um, from radio on Monday nights. Yeah, yeah. We got in the studio and cut it live uh, last wow. week at Cedar Creek, and it's a it's a you know barn burning boot stomping song about a bunch of possessed nuns. I mean, people people should do more Halloween singles, right? Because everyone wants to do a Christmas sure. single. They want sure. to do a Christmas single, and they want to get it out. And you know, you know, there's going to be some sleigh bells on it, and there's going to be some uh, some some silly sentiments about presents and about the the reason for the season and good feelings and all these good things. And Christmas songs are great. Don't get me wrong, but you know, there just aren't enough people out there writing like the I'm good the, the good demonic songs. Like I really don't. I'll be honest, I don't have a connection to Christmas music anymore. Well, it just feels like it's, and you, know, you mentioned that I write weird songs. It's because when I, when I sit down to tell a story, uh, when I sit down to write a song, like, it's really important to me that if I'm going to take the time to do that, and that if I have something on my mind that, you know, even if it's a, a universal feeling like love or uh, fear, or I don't know, the things that people write songs about, right, right. that you find a new angle on it, right? Yeah. You have to bring something new to it, because if you're not bringing something new, you know, it just kind of feels no, like you're rehashing things. Right, right, right. I will definitely say that your, your stuff is, is, is unique. And that's great. And it's hard to be unique. And when we're like, I do the same thing. Like I play a style of music that isn't anything you've never heard before. Stylistically, uh, I'm not reinventing any kind of wheel. I'm just doing my version of, you know, you're still bringing, I'm giving it my bitch. Yeah. Rings. You're, you're, you're bringing yeah, something yeah. to it though. Yeah. And that's, you know, like anytime somebody does a cover too, like, you know, I love playing other people's songs, but if I'm going to do it, I really want to do something new to it or I want to put some twist on it because sure. otherwise I just want to go listen to the original version. Right. Right. <laughs> and so that's, you know, I think it's the same thing for me with like Christmas. Like I'm still open to Christmas songs, but what are you going to bring to Santa Claus that I haven't seen before? Like, how are you going to do something new to this that makes it feel inventive and that makes it feel like it's your interpretation of that as opposed to you going through the motions and saying, well, I guess everybody's got a Santa song. I should have a Santa song. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. 
that's no reason to do anything. <laughs> the only thing that I listen to, and, and we'll move on from this Christmas thing because now it's good. Oh, do you know Gabe Rhodes? I've met Gabe. Um, but we've Gabe made together. a Halloween album. Oh, that's awesome. I need to, like um, 10 years ago or something. Man, I've got to go listen to that because I, there should be more of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's spooky. It's, oh, it's awesome. totally Gabe. Oh, that's awesome. Um, one of the things I wanted to say, uh, I wanted to ask you about this because uh, in these songs where you have the, uh, like, like Harpo and Amelia, it's this song about uh, uh, Harpo Marx and Amelia Earhart. And and you have this this demon possessed nun song, and uh, when you put it that way, <laughs> no 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 no. But I'm saying you you have these 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 stories. And my question to you is: when you're writing these songs about these stories, how much of your love of like of 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 you is in there? How much of me is in like? There? Yeah, do you sneak in some of your own feelings, some oh, of tons. your own experiences in those oh, absolutely. stories? Okay, okay. absolutely. Because I was feeling that in those. Yeah, no, and that's that's kind of the fun for me in telling stories is, you know, it may be about something specific. And Harpo and Amelia comes from like there's a beautiful photograph of the two of them. Um, that's I didn't even just, know that. It tells it. It's one of those you look at it and you immediately start constructing stories about it because. Sure. You know, I, I, this is like stage banter I've used many times, but like uh, she looks like, you know, she's looking at him like she wants to run away with him and marry him. And he looks at her like he wants to throw a pie in her face. Like there's this beautiful interaction between them. And, you know, it's not just about them. Like that speaks a lot about any two people who are in a situation like that. It's, you know, this sort of like incompatibility between people, but this still like very loving kind of thing. Like, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's like as many layers as you want to kind of pull into that. Of course, there's like bits of me and bits of, you know, sort of universal concept in there and all of that. Sure. But at the end of the day, it's also just about the photograph. Yeah. Um, and you know, it can kind of be whatever you want to pick out of that. But a lot of the songs, um, yeah, definitely. There's a there's a deep personal undercurrent to some of it. Um, it's just not always obvious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, w- one of the things, one of the songs that stood out was the title song, "Lighthouse Keeper." Out of the blue, there's like this rock song. <laughs> yeah, um, which is interesting um, because the rest of it's fairly gentle, and there's one on there where it's like, all right, we got to open this up a little bit, and that one is actually deeply personal. Um, it's believe it or not, it's a breakup song um, from a relationship a long time ago, um, and you know, I think in 2009 or so, like. I just needed to kind of get out for a while. And so I got on a plane and then went to Iceland for like a week and a half or two. And I rented a car and I drove around Iceland because I kind of thought that was what I needed at the time. And I kind of wanted to get as far away from everything as I could. And so I got a a ticket on this. um, It was like a cargo ferry that was going up to the Arctic Circle. (laughs) To to, the end of the world. (laughs) Yeah, to to Grimsey Island, which is like a fishing (laughs) island off the north coast of Akureyri. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like on north of Iceland. And we take the boat up there and I get off. And there's there's a beautiful lighthouse as you kind of steam out through the, the, the North Sea or whatever that is there. And you get to Grimsey and like I got off. And all Grimsey's known for is fishing and chess. And the first thing I see is this big Icelandic dude on a Harley Davidson. And he's just sitting in this town square, like with his Harley revving his engine. Just, yeah, just, yeah. Like three or four people all looking around at him like, yep. <laughs> and I get off and I'm like, here I am at the Arctic Circle. You know, my relationship is ended. I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm on an island that is three miles long and basically has no roads. 
And here's this dude just like content with his Harley. Yeah. And I started writing the song like in my head right there. And it's like, it's, it's all there, right? You know, here's this guy on his bike with three miles worth of road to call his own. And I'm like, obviously it means something to him to have that thing, but it's absolutely useless. And so it was, I don't know, that song was like the processing of this breakup yeah. uh, in the context of this sort of weird day long North Sea adventure. And, you know. It needed to be a rock song, so we put a rock song on the record. Yeah, which, no, it was good. It's, but, it was cool. Yeah, I didn't know if that was something that you are like. I see that you play a lot of shows. You play a lot of solo shows and stuff like that, and that's something all of us have to do. Were were you to have your druthers as to what kind of record you wanted to make if you had a full band behind you? Is that what you would sound like more than the 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 more folk leaning stuff sometimes um you know it's always for me it's, it's i always love playing with a band because you know i pick up a lot of sideman work too for different people over the oh. years and so i've played with a lot of different players and a lot of bands and i always enjoy the energy behind that um and some songs i definitely write with that in mind yeah. um that said i also like i really like playing the folky gigs because they give um they give you a chance to connect a little deeper. They give you a chance to tell the stories about it without three other people on stage standing around looking at you like, oh my God, shut up. Like, right, stop right. talking about the song. Um, so, you know, I think I would like to do some more band band gigs in the in the future. Um, you know, I still haven't done like a release show for this record or anything. Um, it would be really nice to get some people together and do that. But Why not? Um, just wondering. Just lack of planning. <laughs> I mean, you're busy. Yeah, that's, you know, you stay busy enough and it's sort of like, you know, finished it up, hadn't really planned it, and now I'm moving on to the next things. And so it's, uh, you know, it's not an intentional choice so much as it is. Um, it was one of those years where I feel like I just needed to kind of keep creating. And so it's sort of like record done. All right, let's move on. Let's do the Halloween single. Let's do the next record. And um, yeah, it's not, not an intentional choice necessarily. Did, but, you, did you go up here? I did. I was born here. Wow. Um, yeah. It's a fucking unicorn. Yeah. Uh, I was born here in, in the early 80s um, when there were about 400,000 people living here. And, uh, what year? 84. Yeah. So this is this is home. That's when I moved here in 84. Nice. I lived it's, here for like a year. It's yeah. a, it's a, it was a good time, man. Austin time. was a great place to grow up. Yeah. Um, and it was a great place to have a musical upbringing because, you know. Well, your got, parents were going out and seeing the shows and you were going to uh, like the... What was it? The River Fest? No, what was it called? Aquafest. Aquafest. Yeah. I don't know if we ever did an Aquafest, yeah. but uh, yeah, I mean, my folks, you know, had been here since the early '70s. They moved here for college in like '70, '71, and oh, so they like um, they went to they were going to the Armadillo. Yeah, so like, they yeah. they were going to the Armadillo. Um, they were big in. Um, they saw a bunch of the, like new wave and punk kind of scene here, so they spent a lot of time at like Club Foot and Raul's. Yeah, and um, like they were they were very much part of that scene. Yeah, um, and you know they had me and they stopped going to shows and that lasted for about six years seven years because you know they were always playing music there was always music in the house and um it all kind of came to a head when i was about yeah six or seven i think and um they were going out for the first time together to a show um since i was born like they had individually my dad had gone off and seen shows and things but they were going to go out and leave me with like my grandmother or something and they were going to go see david byrne and um and I said, well, take me with you. And they were like, no, it's a 21-up it's venue, and you're like seven, and we can't take you take you with us. And I, uh, I accused them of going to a sleazy dive. 
um, without me and was very petulant about it. And it was the last time they didn't take me to a show with them. Was that at the Austin Music Hall? It was, God, it was at the Opry House. At the Opry House. Yeah, yeah it was right. at yeah, the yeah, Opry yeah, House yeah, in yeah, like yeah. 88 or something. And uh, I remember seeing 80, a poster 89. for it when I worked at Whole Foods. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was the last time they went to a show without me. And after that, it was like, all right, I guess we're taking him. Um, so then we went in 1993, the first like really big show that we went to is, um, I'm a, I'm a huge Neil Young fan. And, um, they took me to Neil Young with Booker T and the MGs, um, Dinosaur Jr. and Blind Melon opened. It was the heady days of 1993 and it was, uh, it was a mind, mind expanding experience. Wow. Where was that? Irwin Center. Not a great place to see music, and I'm pretty certain that show was loud enough that I'm probably still ringing from it, you know, 30 years later, but... just knowing you as little as I do, my ears are ringing from that show as well. Yeah. Dinosaur Jr., Neil Young, and who was Neil Young? Blind Melon. Blind oh. Melon were, were, not, were not the loudest of them, but Dinosaur no. Jr. were plenty loud, and I feel like Neil made it his, his goal to outdo them once yeah, he yeah, got yeah. up there. I don't think he has a... Tr- I think they were probably trying to catch up to him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's... You know, loud. Yeah. So do you, you, did you go to shows at like Liberty Lunch and shit like that? Yeah. Yeah. Remember um, any good ones you saw there? Warren Zevon. Ooh. I saw Warren Zevon. That's at what the Lunch. rock song reminds me of. Yeah. That's, that's what it reminds me. I'm not going to lie. It sounds like a Warren Zevon rock and roll song. Which is, I mean, that's about as good a compliment as, as, as you can pay somebody because yeah. he's a genius. Genius. And uh, was a genius. And yeah. yeah, I got to see him at Liberty Lunch. Um, had a really fun time at that one. I remember seeing the Brave Combo there. In oh, the yeah, 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 yeah. Um, with Timbuk3. Fuck it was, yeah. Uh, it was a double bill. Um, that was a good show. Um, John Hyatt. I saw John I'm Hyatt. I'm excited about these. Yeah, shows. no, they're great. They were great shows. I saw John Hyatt there one night, and it was one of the first times I remember breaking off from my dad in a crowd, and I got up to the front by myself, and um, it was really cool because like I was totally digging on it. I was standing right under um, Davey Farragher, the bass player who uh-huh. now plays with um, Elvis Costello and the Imposters, and like he and I were like totally like like yeah, like back and forth during the show. And so when it finished, like he grabbed the set list off the stage, went backstage, got everybody to sign it, and like came back out and found on me. his own. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it was just, it was one of those venues, one of those rooms, and it was one of those cities, and, I mean, I guess he's also a really nice guy. Someday, I hope to, to thank him for that, but... What a um, cool thing. Yeah, it's just, it's the, the kind of experiences that I feel like I kept having growing up here, where, you know, you go to shows like that, and they stick with you for a long time, because people are kind to you when they don't have to be, yeah. and... Um, what. Well, I, I had a Towns Van Zandt experience. What was yours? And how old were oh, you? Oh, I had a Towns Van Zandt experience. Yours seems way more positive than yeah, mine. Oh, man. Um, I saw Towns twice. Okay. Um, the first time I saw Towns, my dad took me to the Cactus in like 95 and was like, you got to see Towns. That's like right before he died. Yeah, it was about was, two years before he died. Because yeah, yeah. um, I saw him in 95 and 96. Okay. And 95, um, he took me and he was like, because he'd seen Towns a bunch of times. My folks had seen him in all kinds of places. And... It was a brilliant night. Um, he was sober, um, well, ish, um, and, but he, he was perfect form. He got up and played an amazing set, and being 10 years old or whatever and having absolutely zero social um, inhibitions, I just went up to him after the set and was like, hey, Towns, I play guitar. I've heard your songs. I really love what you do. Um, like, how are you doing? And he was a little taken aback, but he was really nice about it. And he took me back to the green room with him. And he like drew me a little picture and he yeah. talked about music. And, and we just sat back there and talked for a long time. And then he gets back up and plays the second set. I'm sitting up in the front row with my dad. And um, 
first song in the second set was Hank's Lost Highway, and he's just staring at me with it, like, just locked eyes, and um, it scared me shitless, man. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's one of those moments <laughs> that just, like, it burns a hole completely yeah. through your being, and, yeah, you know, yeah. it was beautiful, it was wonderful. I came back to see him the next time he played The Cactus in 96, uh, you know, a year later with my dad, and he was too drunk to play. Like, he could barely stay on a stool um yeah. it was a completely it was like the the, the yin and yang experience yeah. of of you know Sad. what i later learned you know was towns and um but man that that first show is like you know you had to pick those formative moments where you yeah. realize like this is what i'm going to do like these are the moments that are going to stay with you like that was a yeah that was a killer yeah. well, what was yours <laughs> i was it i was like uh fuck i must have been like 14 like that like the little guy with the electric guitar in the photo. Yeah. Nice. Like maybe a few months before that. My mom, uh, my mom's friends owned this place called the Wunchy Brothers Cafe and Saloon. And all kinds of people played there. It was in Spring, Texas. And we lived in the woodlands. And, and we, we would see like, I'm pretty sure I saw Blaze Foley. I remember nice. that name wow. always on the calendar. And people like Lyle Lovett and stuff like in this little place, you know, uh, like a listening kind of room. Yeah. So uh, Towns was there one night. And afterwards, I, I should not have been. I was always like, you know, my mom was like, I was a seven. I was born in like 68 to like a 21-year-old mom. So but yeah, everything was just cool. And yeah. all of her friends would meet. Her best friend was uh, Holman and his wife. Oh, nice. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so like everyone was cool and groovy. And like I was, I was probably at, so I started going to after parties like way too young. <laughs> so I'm at this after party which is upstairs in the, in the place. And he's just over there like smoking and drinking and whatever. And people are hanging out, talking and doing their thing. And I was like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to go up to this dude. And so I go up to him and you know, at that age, you want to find out anything you can. Like, yeah. Hey, I'm trying to do this. Like, what do I do? Like, you're fucking cool. I, I don't, how do I do it? <laughs> so when I went up and asked him, he, he had somehow shifted his, his body to where I was like against the wall and he was towering over me with this whiskey and cigarette breath and he was telling me how horrible this life is and how awful it is and I remember my mom grabbing him by the shoulders and going Towns Towns he's just a kid he's just a kid it's like it's like his dream wow <laughs> yeah it's a very it's a similar experience he was just I think a little kinder for the three year age yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 but that was mine and, and I think he was he was probably really drunk yeah because uh, I remember just the the strength of of alcohol on his breath like I was like whoa uh, like even got, I was like that's a lot you got the unfiltered experience <laughs> yeah 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 you know I, you know JT his son uh you know I've never I've seen him play uh, I've never met him he's but. awesome and one night we were hanging out and I told him that story like I thought he was, he was crying laughing he was laughing so he's <laughs> just like it's totally can see it because I was all like bright eyed and like hi like and the only sober person in this room yeah. right so uh god that's so awesome growing up like that your yeah. parents are still around yeah and they're proud of you yeah they freak out when, I, that I, you're making I, records I, I in front of them out I think so um yeah no they're 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 up in North Austin we still go to shows we're actually we're, we're going to see Nick Cave next week together so your parents um, are cool yeah my, my parents are cool yeah, yeah, they're they're you know you meet my parents and it explains a lot of the songs. Um, it explains sure. the, the esotericism. It explains the uh, explains the musical influences. It explains a lot of things. <laughs> so. That's really rad. Yeah. So when you went out to uh, England, you went out there for four years. 
three and a half, three, three, and, a half. three and change. Um, you know, kind of went out there in like 2018. Uh, you know, I thought I'd try it out for a little bit, try this job out and see what happens. And then it kind of snowballed and then COVID happened and I got stuck over there. And uh, you so it, was, COVID? Uh, it was an interesting time. Yeah. But, but did you get anything out of it? I made a record while I was over there. Um, okay. So I made an EP um, oh, yeah. called The Old Straight Track um, that was basically, we did it in three days at a little studio just down the street from my flat and um, you know, with some friends that I had met over there just in the first year that I was there. And it's a... Uh, you know, it's 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 a it's a fun little fun. It's a fun little collection. It's an interesting set of songs because they're they're very much a snapshot just of like where I was and what I was doing. And again, you know, kind of that like how do you hide the deeply personal within these stories that right. the country has inspired you to tell? Because there is a theme running through all of them. They're all, you know, um, you know the the first song on the record is about Madame Blavatsky, who you know was uh, uh, I think she died in London, but you know she was a citizen of the world, but um, you know, very much somebody that I associate with, you know, the end of her life with London and, you know, the songs about like empire and, and English ghosts and all these things. But it was also very much a record about, uh, you know, a year of being very lonely and very isolated on a cold island where I didn't know anybody. And, um, you know, I, I think that was, I got great songs out of the experience. I got some very good friends out of the experience. And, That's good. uh, Oh, I bet being there with COVID and you didn't know any of it, that's just like you're just sitting there. COVID was a was a strange experience. You, you were know? still working though, right? Yeah, I was I was that was all I was doing. Um so I mean I had a little flat in Brighton. Um it was a nice little place. Um like Brighton's very cool. Brighton's a great city and I have some very dear friends there. Um but we were trying to get this game finished, um, and I was working way too many hours and uh there weren't really any parks or anything nearby and like lockdown was fairly harsh for the first six months or so there. And man, it was just like every day you see the same four walls, you get up, you work for 16 hours and then you try to figure out what the hell you're doing with your life. Did you get Indian food delivered? Yes. That's the only thing I can do. Yes. I could occasionally, I would occasionally get, um, like there was a branch of, of, of Dishoom, the Indian restaurant chain in London that would (laughs) deliver to my door. Um, and that was one of the only, uh, one of the only saving graces of the whole experience. Oh shit! Man. But um, yeah, it was it was a weird place to be, just because yeah, you couldn't really. There was nothing to nothing to lean on. There yeah. was just there was just the cold wind off the channel and uh, and uh, a nice view of the city. That's about that's about it. Those years that you were there were uh, sort of uh, pivotal. Politically, uh, you in, don't say <laughs> in our time here in America and there too. Yeah, but like, what did it look like from, from over there? Like, what did like the news like? What? I mean, I'm not gonna lie. When the <laughs> opportunity came to go in 2018, it looked like a pretty good deal because shit didn't look great here. Um, and it was like, leave the country? Yes, sign me up, man. Let's yeah, go take a try yeah. someplace else. And of course, was walking right into the post Brexit, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, brouhaha <laughs> there, and was there while Brexit like wrapped up and while the country detached. Yeah, in the middle of COVID, which, you know. It's, just, it's kind of fun watching a, a country commit economic suicide in real time. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, it was really hard looking back at the country. It's, you know, it's hard kind of looking back at um, certain people who shall not be named for fear of invoking certain demons. Um, and, you know, looking back at kind of what things had become and, um, 
you know, explaining it to people there too. You know, I right. only, I only almost got in a fight with like one person, um, my time there. And it was just, you know, one particularly drunk British guy who, uh, you know, came up and said some provocative things about all Americans and, uh, you know, tried to tried to start something. But there's a lot of conversations that happened in pubs, usually over the second or third pint, where sure. you had to try yeah. to explain yeah. how yeah. Trump could happen. Yeah. And I'm like, well, come you guys just just left the EU and you've got Boris. And they're like, no, nah, bro, it's it's different. <laughs> like, how did how did you let this happen? And. So there were a lot of conversations about that where you have to try to assure them that you're on the the, the, the right team. <laughs> did, you, did you start those answers with, well, have you ever seen the movie Idiocracy? You know, I rewatched <laughs> that recently and it was uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, just because it feels yeah. more and more every day like um, we, just, we just take little baby steps closer. But... Um, yeah. No, there's... I mean, at a certain point, there's no way to have those conversations. You just have to kind of shrug your shrug your shoulders and do your best and 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 remind them that there's a lot of people with with good hearts and good intentions out there and yeah that you know you can't let the bastards get you down yeah. <laughs> you just have to fight harder so yeah and uh so that's where most of those conversations would would go and then you know making fun of them for brexit so yeah but, you know how i mean i knew what brexit was but i didn't really realize the uh the impact that it that it had until I listened to you ever listen to Bob Leftitz the Bob Leftitz podcast? You know I that never, no, I, I know who he is. I have never listened to the podcast. He he has really interesting people on. He had this guy that's like the biggest promoter in uh, in Europe, and he was just talking about like the effect of like there was shit. I I might be saying it wrong, but it's I'm not far off when I'm saying this, I, I might be misquoting numbers or anything, but I think like, like when you go from Britain to tour the rest of Europe at this point, like you can only be there a couple of days and you have to come back. It's, you, you get a little bit more leeway than that. It's, um, it's, it's, it just seemed like it was all of a sudden, uh, costs. It was like cost and a half now. Yeah. And it's no longer just free transit where it's like, okay, cool, you're a member of the EU, you can work anywhere, you can go anywhere. Now it's like, okay, cool, like what are the visa requirements and how long can you actually be there? And it's harder to hire people because I was in England trying to hire people from the rest of Europe and all of a sudden it became a lot harder um, because before you could just say, oh yeah, cool, you're in Poland, great, move over here next week and work for us as opposed to oh, what is getting a Polish visa look like um, coming into the UK now? Um, right. Like, it's, everything became harder. Um, That's a drag, you know. I went there twice once before uh, the EU, EU, and then once after. And the after was just, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was rad. It's, Why and, wouldn't you do, it was like, too, it was like coming to America, basically. And it's, you know. Traveling around America. There are so many... There are so many parallels to, and I'm, you know, this is a, a deep political conversation to get into when you're talking about like music and all this other stuff. But from my limited experience as a as a resident there, uh, England is as much uh, a, a land of immigrants as we are. You know, England colonialized mm-hmm. the most of the known world at one point or another. Um, and that's a whole separate conversation about the, the, the evils that that wrought on the planet. But as a result, it is a place that is made up of people from 
everywhere and yeah. you know london is as international a city as i've spent time in and yeah. the idea that you want to close your borders up to that when it's the backbone of everything that you do is just as insane to me as america trying to put the clamps on it because we're a nation of immigrants too like yeah. we are two countries that are very much founded by and run by um people from other places yeah. and um, but all the same things fueled Brexit that fueled, you know, the rise of, of, of the sort of neo-fascism here. You know, there's a lot of fear of the outside and fear of the other and a lot of scapegoating of, of immigrants oh, and yeah. like all the same things that lead to what happened in 2016 in the United States. It's just this, it's the same thing in England. It just yeah. took a different manifestation. It's the same hatreds and it's the same fears and it's the same prejudices. They just found a different way to express themselves. And how imp how much of that stuff seeps into your music? Not as much as it should, probably. Um, you know, are you good at writing those kind? Because of, I'm terrible at writing those kind of songs. That's what mine sound I'm, like. I'm, uh, yeah. There are so few people that are good at writing overtly political material. Like, there's some of that. There's a song on the on the EP um, on uh, the old straight track called Cairo 1922. That's um, you know kind of this this you know, three verse epic about this dude being stalked by like the Egyptian god of death through the streets of Cairo. And a lot of that song is about sort of British colonialism. That's about alcohol and a few other things too. But the colonialism definitely plays a part in it. So it 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 finds its way into like the little bits of political things find their way into to what I'm doing, but. Mm -hmm. You know, as far as like writing overtly political songs, it's yeah, uh, yeah. it's I'm really easy to do too. it really badly. Yeah, it's really easy to do it in a way that makes you actually want to not support that cause. And um, you know, I go listen to like an old Phil Oaks record or something, and, and just like, listen to that, and I'm like, that. yeah, holy shit, how yeah. did he do that? He yeah. said the obvious, but he said it in a way that makes you rally for it that yeah. makes you that makes you stop and catch your breath because it stops and, and and you're caught by the oh my god yeah the injustice of this oh i've got to i've got to learn more about this and then you go try to write the same thing again and right. it you know it sounds like fisher price is my first song when i try to do it you know try to like write a rah-rah chorus or right. something <laughs> right yeah it's funny i uh at one point in my career in the 90s uh, Jim Kerr, the lead singer of Simple Minds, started a management company with his brother Paul, and they managed my band and another band with this other slew of Scottish managers that I had, which is pretty insane. Uh, I heard the word Gaudi a lot. They used to call me by my last name. Gaudi! <laughs> Gaudi! Um, so uh, I remember him saying one time, like, you know, man, you should try and, like, you know, stretch out, man, like, write a political song. And this was like 19. 97 and I was like what things were pretty good in 1997 like, yeah. like what am I I'm not against anything man. I'm against you telling me to write some song about some shit I don't like. yeah the economy was doing all right. Everything we, was fine. Know, there we, was a Clinton. Yeah, we, we weren't involved in any particularly long and horrible war. It was a pretty relaxed. I just remember going like this isn't like Thatcher and Reagan. Like I'm not fighting against anything. Like what am I fighting against? Nothing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a bad time to get involved in writing political yeah. songs. But also, like, whenever I have, I remember doing, like, some, uh, <laughs> some like, 19-year-old anti-apartheid songs. I mean, that's... The oh, shit. It's not your fault. Oh. 
uh, you know, there's, there's, I'm glad that's not my fault. Uh, if I had a synthesizer in my pocket that I didn't know about, uh, that would be something. Um, Here's a joke. Oh, wait, it's going to do just a little bit more. <laughs> um, no. No, there's a there's I'm making a I'm making a new record that I started earlier this year and I need to get back to that's sort of whereas the the old straight track EP was like the songs I wrote when I got to England this new full length that I'm hoping to have out next year is like the songs I wrote leaving it oh, um wow. and during you know sort of the beginning of the pandemic but during the exit from there and the 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 politics seep in a little bit more on that one than they have before and there's like a seven minute sort of uh, fever dream ecological collapse song on there that's uh i don't know it's not overtly political but you know it was sort of one of those like i woke up one morning in my bed in england and i was very hungover and um and having a really bad trip kind of in the middle of covid and this song just appeared in like nine verses and it starts with Cortez and Montezuma and it and it ends like and it goes through like coral reef bleaching and then like forest fires and it comes out the other side in like sort of an apocalypse and I have no clue where it came from but it, it was like birthed fully formed I'm like well I guess that's my climate change song <laughs> um, so you know yeah, so it occasionally seeps in there'll be a little bit more of it coming down the line but yeah. you know it has to find I guess for me the, like the right Again, it's one of those things where I feel like I have to have something new to say, right? Because yeah, there yeah. are people who are going to write better overt political anthems. Sure. You know, is anyone ever going to write a better just rallying feel good cry than people have the power? Like, no. I don't think so. I that's, think Patti Smith cornered that one. <laughs> that's the thing is, it's, is there's a fine line about writing that song and making it timeless to write it in enough uh, with enough distance from the subject that it. It transcends the moment. Yeah. As opposed to just being like a quick newscast of that day. And then you listen to it 20 years later and you're like, I'm fucking. Yeah. And it's, I, people have the power came on the radio the other day. I was driving around it's still, it's and still, it's still, it, that, that doesn't stick in one place. Yeah. Well, and it's, it doesn't have to be about any one thing either. Yeah. It's just about the strength of a union. It is yeah. just about, and you can make that literal labor sure. union. You can make that any union of people. It's like a perfect anthem for just any group of people that can be bigger than themselves and someone from the freedom caucus is going to hear this and they're going to adopt it and they're going to be Marjorie oh God. Taylor James uh, you know but, but the at the same time it's a it's a <laughs> global could, enough yeah. song that yeah, as yeah, long yeah. as you're willing to like <laughs> yeah. embody the positivity yeah. behind it yeah. it would work kind of yeah. except you know with all it's, okay it's a little positive for all of that but yeah. You know, is you have to have something new to bring to that. And, like, I would rather just play that song again than try to write, like, a new people have the power. Like, I would rather than, you know, wait for the, the, the fever dream about ecological collapse and see if I can spur something new there or bring a new angle on something. Um, because it just, yeah, again, it just doesn't, it doesn't work for me to just try to, to just try to rehash old ground. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's, uh, yeah. How far are you into writing that? Um, that record, the songs are all done and that song is done. Um, you think you're going to do it in the same way? Um, so we started on that record. I'm actually working with, uh, Matt Parmenter on that one. Oh, cool. Um, so after we did the, the record for Mailman Bob last year, we kind of just rolled, like kept rolling off of that yeah, and we're yeah. like, let's keep working. And we put down, 
you know, bass, drums, guitar, um, kind of all the, the, the basics for that stuff, and then kind of parked it for a little while to put the, the other record out this summer. And so we're going to come back to it hopefully in the winter and awesome. finish it out, um, put all the finishing touches on it, and then figure out how to how to release it next year. I like him a lot, man. He's, he's, he's a good such dude. a good dude to work with. Yeah. Like I met him through a gig. We were both playing with somebody years ago. Um, you know, just kind of like he was playing bass. I was playing guitar and kept in touch and always wanted to find ways to work with him. And I ended up doing the Bob record with him last year um, because I'd been wanting to find a project to work with him on. Um, we ended up starting on that second full length that I'm going to do next year. Um, and then also made a record this year called Polaroid Collective, um, that, um, was, uh, me and 10 other songwriters, um, who all met out in West Texas, um, at a songwriting retreat and we all stayed in touch and we wrote a bunch of songs together and we made an 11 person collective album, uh, this year. Wow. And, uh, it was a lot of fun. We did it. We all, we did it in a week, um, at, at his studio awesome. in February and we put it out in August. Um, and it was Did just anyone was, else I know out of those people? I know. Um, oh yeah, probably. There's some Austin folks in there. Um, Allie Holder, um, is, is on there. She's good people. Um, she's very good people. Um, Lori Ellen, um, who is a fantastic singer and songwriter. She's been mm. playing a lot with Shane Cooley recently. Um, let's see who else. Um, uh, I'm like, uh, suddenly I have to name all yeah. 11 of my best friends. Well, here. No, uh, uh, Johan Wagner, um, has a song on there. If you know, if you know Jay Wagner, mm-hmm. um, uh, and then there's a bunch of other people from around the country, like, um, this guy, Tommy Charles, who's, a uh, Canadian country singer who, uh, he was on like the Canadian voice. Um, and you know, is like, a uh, he's got, he sings like, uh, like Elvis Presley, you know, he's got this big, beautiful, deep voice. And oh, wow. so we met him and we were like, yeah, you got to come sing some like blue eyed soul on this record. And so he flew down for it and some friends from Wyoming are from uh, Montana and New Mexico. So yeah, it was just a bunch of people from all over. And, you know, we kind of got together and did that at his studio. Um, and it was a really, it was just a, it was a fun project. Awesome. Um, actually, the the person in Austin that put it all together is my buddy Brett Sorrell, um, who put out a record a couple of years ago, also done with Matt Parmenter, that I really liked. And that um, I've been to the desert a couple of times with him, and it was sort of his brainchild. But um, those things are fun. I've never been to one, and I went, uh, <clears throat> not this last weekend, but the weekend before, Ian Moore, do you know him? Yeah. He had one uh, out in Wimberley, and I went and taught some... I did some one-on-ones, and I also did like a presentation nice. on changing chords. Oh, cool! Okay, getting out of your normal, Get, getting getting out of your normal uh, yeah. one, four, five patterns. Yeah, and finding like relative minors, just shit that you can do. Yeah, changing the bass note of a chord. I love that stuff. stuff. Like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the one that I've gone to a few times is Crooked Crow, which um, Jay Wagner does out in uh, in the middle of like nowhere, West Texas. Like you go out to Presidio on the border, and you drive another hour west of Presidio up the Rio Grande, and you find yourself, you know. That's pretty cool. Though. Out beyond, there's no cell phone signal. There's no internet. So you kind of are out there with, you know, you and 20 other people and your guitar Freaking out. and, Everyone your, and your notebook. <laughs> and it's amazing how quickly you you detach from that stuff. Sure. Like you put your sure. phone away and you just sort of get into the flow of like, I'm out here for four days, yeah. five days. And whatever happens is going to happen. And I actually have to connect with human beings and co-write and and collaborate and... You know, we do a bunch of wacky stuff. Like, I really love cut-up poetry. I love... Um, oh, yeah. So we do a lot of cut-ups out there and things like that where we just, you know, take boxes of books out there with us and chop them up and make things out of them. Oh, and, that's um, cool. So, 
you know that that kind of stuff. The kind yeah, of stuff yeah, that, yeah. that, without the aid of computers, like opens up neural yeah. channels yeah, that yeah, you yeah, might yeah. not have opened otherwise. <laughs> Do you know about the uh, uh, the oblique strategies? No, are you a fan of that? No, uh, you should look it up. It's a uh, it's Brian Eno and this psychologist guy came up with it in the seventies, and it's sort of to uh, it's it was originally a deck of cards. Now it's an app. Oh, but it was a deck oh, of cards oh, I do know that when you this. hit a creative roadblock, yeah. it's like, you know, turn off all the lights and do it backwards or yeah, just yeah, some fucking no, weird I, shit. I, I, do, I do know about this. I didn't know what it was called, but I've, I've, I've absolutely um, seen this. And yeah, I love stuff like that. Me too, right? me because too. like all me these too. things are living yeah. inside your head. Yeah. And there's so many ways of accessing it. There are so many ways of just like getting you a little bit out of your head and, right. and opening up a channel that might not have been there yeah and when you hit the ground running like that and you're like you're 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 trying to fire on all cylinders it's hard to get it all going but things like that really do as weird as they are like a lot of times i go through a few before (laughs) like i hit like five or six before i see one that actually makes sense but it makes sense to me in that moment which is all part of the thing like oh i needed to see this i don't know i love intention and and uh and things like that when you're creating art and limits and all kinds of things yeah. like that make for exciting creation. Yeah, and it just it it reminds you like I, I think one of the things that that I've learned the most over the last several years um, is to play um, is to not take everything so goddamn seriously. Yeah, yeah. Um, because you know it's really easy, especially you know if you're writing like the really dark folk songs, right, right, or you're right. writing the political banger, or right. you're doing any of this, right? Like <laughs> the political banger, political banger, mate. Um, you know it's it's. It's really easy to like get very like up in your head about yeah. like I'm only gonna do the shit that's the very best. I'm only gonna do like I'm gonna write when the inspiration yeah, strikes yeah, yeah, only, yeah. and it's yeah. got to be perfect. And, and you know, I think something I've I've really taken to heart is write the dumb shit. Write write like open up the neural pathways. Do some cut up poetry. Maybe it's bad. Like I did one in the desert a couple of weeks ago where I like the first words I found in a book were John Cougar Mellencamp and I did an entire cut up poem about John Cougar Mellencamp. Am I ever going to use that for anything? Absolutely not. But it exists and it was something that my brain wanted to gravitate towards and I was able to like mix up some words and put them down in a way that made me laugh and made me smile and I might even have just if I even get two words out Right, 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 right. If I get right, two right, words right, out of that right. that open up something yeah. good, yeah. then the, the the silly flight of, of fancy is, you know, it's, it's totally worth it. It's funny. It's like what people are doing now with AI. It's like analog AI. Like I know all kinds of songwriters are like, well, I mean, you know, you use a rhyming dictionary. <laughs> oh, man. I, that's a, I, I can't. I did have I, a friend that said, well, you use a rhyming dictionary. And they shrugged and like, come on. And yeah, I was like that's so different than it's, a fucking rhyming dictionary. Dude. It's so different, <laughs> and you know, as somebody who who sits on the on the the, the borderline oh, between yeah. technology and um, yeah, it's weird. You're like a a totally digital and and an acoustic guitar guy on the corners, and I so. don't like the two mixing. It's a weird thing where like I the last thing that I would do is letting AI write any part of my song. Like, it's not even, I think AI is almost a misnomer, right? These are smart machine learning um, devices that that they're able to regurgitate, they're able to synthesize out of, you know, the collected uh, uh, wisdom and knowledge that was fed into them. And, you know, from all the little bits that I've poked at them, because, you know, I do want to understand it. And so I've, you know, spent a lot of time poking at at, uh, ChatGPT and Dolly and, you know, just seeing what its limits and what its extents are and 
I mean, I'm sure it'll get better, but like their its attempts at songwriting are very middle of the road. Like, you know, they're the kind of songs that would take oh, yeah. 20 bad people in Nashville yeah. to a day to write. Um, Terrible. And, you know, but they're also like, it, it's self-feeding, right? It's its just learning right. from other things that it's read. And I guess my fear is that you keep doing that and eventually it's just going to, it's going to churn out the same mediocrities yeah. again and again and again and again. And you're just going to have an increasing sort of squish, like a compressor yeah. being put on, on yeah. popular culture that's going to squish it all to an uncomfortable and ugly middle. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah, it's cool if you need to write some shitty form letters or something to, to do that. But, man, make an art. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, No, I agree. I agree. It's funny just the way you're saying that is, uh, did you, do you listen to Fresh Air? Sometimes, yeah. There was a Terry Gross had somebody on there from it, and they were they were reading the, the lyrics that they written. She was just like laughing, like the same <laughs> way, just like total Terry Gross, like like attitude, like like. Well, it still sucks. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's the stupidest I've ever heard. You know, um, man, it was really. I watched a movie recently that blew my mind. Um, uh, it was an '80s film, Electric Dreams. Oh yeah, um, which it's it's got a it's got like an all boy George and uh, uh, written soundtrack, um, but it's it's from you know '84 or so, and it's very much like it is a story about an AI trying to create art. Um, and he ends up writing a boy George song, and it's not very good, and um, and. It, it felt very prophetic. It felt sort of like, you know, because the way that the, 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 the AI constructed in the movie is very much like, all right, like, what can I go and find out about love from right. just reading about it? And right, what can right. I go and, and learn about romance? And, you know, it kind of compiles it into a very middle of the road, obvious rhymes kind of piece of schmaltz right. and then throws a bunch of synthesizers on it. And I'm like, this is how AI actually is functioning 40 years yeah, later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I have a friend, a uh, uh, great... <clears throat> Uh, producer, artist, Primo the Alien, you know her? Yeah. Now she has embraced it on a do my grunt work. Like clean up my tracks. Oh, hell yeah. Well, and like also, all this kind of shit, you can actually get it to do. Right, booking I emails. Get it to do. <laughs> I would absolutely <laughs> have it right, booking emails for me. <laughs> Is, uh, I hate booking. Yeah, it's it's I've, you know, started doing that again this year after, you know, kind of being gone for a few but years. But you're out playing. I mean, yeah. I've seen you, you your name out, you're yeah. doing stuff. And yeah, trying trying to get out there a little bit, trying to, to you to played make sure. in New York or something recently? No, that New was York. somebody else. No. Sorry. No. I wish. New York. Oh no, great. you're not playing. I got you no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I just stay at home. Um no, I I don't think I've ever played in New York. I've played in some weird places, but but that's a weird place I haven't played. Um no, you know, it's hard with the job, you know, I don't really get out of town to play that much, but, you know, I've been doing little things here and there, and just picking up kind of weird side work, and, um, you know, seeing where the songs take me, What so. do you do, who are you playing with sidewise? Um, I just did a couple of sit-in gigs, I just did two weeks with, um, with Darawa Tuesdays, um, oh, which that's was fun. fun, um, Willow. Is that El Mercado? Yeah. Yeah. Willow and Gage was out of town, and Ernie hires guitar players named Will, so, um, <laughs> like, I'm his third, so I did a couple of those. He's a legendary that, dude. Yeah, no, they were great, that was a super fun gigs. so I just got to do a couple of those. Well, especially being a kid growing up in Austin. Yeah. You know, here's this guy that's, like, part of the fabric of the whole fucking thing from when your parents were going out. And that's been fun, you know. 
yeah. over the last 10, I mean, I 15 years. I your dad, years. you're like, hey, I'm playing with Ernie. Like, yeah, well, yeah. What? Yeah, my folks drove south of the river for oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I bet they did, um, man. You know, it's, so I, I just got to do a couple of those. Um, and, you know, I'm playing a little gig on Thursday night with my friend Kate Howard. Um, so back in her. How's she uh, doing? She's doing great. Yeah. Um, so I've been playing um, some of her residencies with her. Where's, um, what's her residency now? New World Deli. Okay, oh, which I love that place. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, you know, it, it's like a, the sandwich shop that turns into a listening room, and I feel like Austin has fewer and fewer listening rooms. And any place you can find a place where people actually sit and listen to a song, you, you're doing something right. So, <laughs> you know who loves that place at lunch? Fucking cops. Really? Yeah, my cop bros. There's not one of them. At, is it like meet me at New World Deli? They have to. You have to meet them at eleven thirty. Okay, that's why I don't see them there because, you know, yeah. the earliest, like, I actually played there um, with Terry Klein yesterday and Shawnee Kilgore, and uh, we did, like, a 2 p.m., and, you know, 2 p.m., it's just people coming in for the songs, so it's great. It's also Sunday, but, like, right, yeah, it's how's Shawnee doing? She's doing great. I haven't seen her in years. Yeah, she's doing, she's doing great. Yeah. Um, she's, uh, yeah, she's got, a, she's got a couple of singles in the works um, right now, so um, some fun stuff, and she's singing on the... Um, She's singing on the 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 nun position song. Oh, yeah. with, with me. Is that her singing with you? All the female parts on the record? Yeah, huh? I th- I think that all of the 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 harmonies on the record and the duets are, are all with her. I don't know if I'm like this, but a lot of times the last song on a record, like when I make a record, like I the last song on the record has to fit this certain mold of what I think the last song is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. And then I'll fall in love with someone that hits it. Like, yep. right? This fucking, uh, the space between our hearts. I, it's, it's sort of the sleeper Beautiful favorite song. on the, on the record. It's my favorite you. song. It's uh it's, Beautiful. I love that song. Yeah. Um, and that's a funny one because, you know, I, I couldn't tell when I wrote it exactly. Like it was a bunch of things for me when I wrote it, but the actual impetus for it, um, one of the best places that I write is when I'm running. Um, so I run a lot. I'm a All distance right. runner. And, um, you know, it's it's a very zen thing, right? It's like doing mindfulness meditation because, you know, all you can do is like foot, foot, breath, breath. Yeah. You know, I need to pass 10 miles. I'm going to count. Um, yeah. And as I do that, lines and yes. images form. But I was out one morning in our old neighborhood and there was a couple having a conversation, a very like dramatic kind of, but not dramatic, bad conversation on, on, on a driveway. And this guy was like, I'm, I'm going to tell you the whole story this time. I'm, I'm going to do it. And like, he had this whole like kind of presentation and like immediately I was like, I'm going to tell the whole story this time. That's the first line of this song. And I don't know where it's going from there. And then, like, as I proceeded, I kind of wrote the first, like, verse and a half or something and, like, came in all sweaty and just sat down and just scribble, 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 scribble. And That's awesome. Um, you know, it's funny because it's, it feels a little bit like a breakup song, but it's not. Um, no, no, no. It's, like, yeah. it's absolutely, it's more just a, a, a human song. It takes a second, to, a, second, a second listen to be like, oh. yeah. Yeah. It's it's because I you know, I was afraid that that like right up front people would be like are you okay is is writing is everything going all right yeah, with you yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm like yeah everything's fine like everybody's got that space where where the the fluttery bird lives like everybody's got that that space inside yeah, them and everybody yeah. affects each other in these ways they write those things in the spaces you can't see they leave those impressions on you in those yeah. places and so you know it's God, sorry oh no worries it's 
it's one of those things where if someone wants that to be a breakup song, I think it can be a breakup song for them. They can listen to that and hear the sadness in it as opposed to the happiness in it. And that's, again, you know, it's one of the things I think that as a songwriter or a storyteller that, you know, you try to do is create spaces that people can interpret and that, you know, a song that can be two different things for two different people, depending on what mood they're in on a given day when they listen to it. It won't stop. I'm sorry. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. I wonder so, if I'm going to have to pay Brian Ferry. What song was that? It's uh, multiple editions of you by Roxy. Music. I was going to say it's, I, I couldn't place what Roxy tune it was. Yeah. But, sorry. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one of my favorites on the record. Um, it's mine. It is, is it, cause, and it's one of my favorites to play, but I only do it when I've got Shawnee with me if we're doing a duo gig or something because it just feels weird singing that one by myself. It has a lot of power with two voices yeah. like that. Like, yeah. yeah, and it's not even a harmony so much as it is. Like, we just kind of double each other's parts and it just works. It's yeah. just really sweet. Yeah. But. Um, so uh, shows in the coming months? Oh boy, Any, in the coming months. In, in a couple, like three weeks, I think four weeks you know winter's pretty empty right now it's going to be a time of recording and releasing i think um so i'm finishing up like i said i played with terry klein and and shawnee yesterday i'm playing with shawnee and kate later this week and we're doing a house concert this weekend um with i think um stephanie fix and matt giles stephanie fix like i think they do yeah so how's she doing she's doing good too um we do a thing occasionally it's like a backyard um house concert series we've been doing off and on for the last year um that was sort of our like get back to play and after the pandemic thing yeah it's it's occupied different backyards but it's been her and me and shawnee and matt giles and too um Deanne Renee and occasionally Chris Brown and occasionally John D. Graham. Um so it's been kind of a rotating cast of of rogues and knaves that have been doing a a, a house concert thing. So we're doing that this weekend. And I think that's the last thing on the books for me for a little bit as I try to get this nun yeah. this nun single out and try yeah. to get back to making the second record and kind of planning what's next. So um, I produced a record for Stephanie, co-produced with Stephen really? Doster a long time ago. Oh, man, I haven't seen Steve in a long time. I know. Man, um, yeah, he's somebody that I met, God, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, something <clears throat> like that, and played with a little bit. Um, did you ever see him when you were a kid? You know, I don't remember if I ever did when I was a did kid. Did you ever go to he Steamboat? Was, I never went to Steamboat. This Steamboat. is all me just trying to go, did you ever see me when you were a kid? No. I'd be like, I, I want to be I like that did, guy. never did Steamboat. A lot of, lot of Liberty Lunch, Little Electric Lounge, <laughs> um, you know, some, but... Um, it had to always be places that were um, either not 21 up or, or cool with putting X's on your hands. Yeah. Spent some time at the hole in the wall growing up. That was, that was always fun. They'd put X's on your hands and let you come in there. Do you remember so. any legendary shows you saw there? Any weird people? At a hole in the wall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that God. front room? No legendary shows. Oh. Um, you know, I remember some of the first times I played in front of a crowd were in that room. It's um, a magical room. To me, like that room and, uh, and the gallery. Yeah. Like, there's no reason. And Flipnotics, when it was a thing. Oh, I miss Flips. None of those rooms. There's no reason. They're shittiest rooms, like room-wise, on paper. Yep. But there's a fucking soul living in there. And everyone that plays there that can adapt to the room can make it great sounding. Same way I feel about the cactus, right? Like, oh yeah, but the cactus is magic uh, the, anyway. Yeah, it's yeah. there are rooms that that have magic, and some of it is the room, and some of it is the right mix of people that are part of a right. scene in that room. Like, you I know. think about it in terms of like being on tour, and you show up to your gig, and you walk into the front room, a hole in the wall, and you're like a band from Pennsylvania, and like, 
Yeah. This is gonna. Fuck <laughs> oh no! When I have to run sound for myself, the yeah. things right next to you. Same thing at the yeah, gallery. The, the like, only oh, thing that's <laughs> missing is a barricade in front of the stage <laughs> exactly. to keep people from throwing bottles. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> but then they, you have like these uh, spiritually transcendent fucking shows in there. Yeah. Or and you see that. Like I've seen, I've had my spirit leave my body more times at the gallery than almost anywhere yeah and these those places where you look around too and you know like i love the the rooms in austin you know you're at a good show when you look around and you're like i recognize at least yeah, yeah, half the yeah, people yeah, in this room yeah. because i've seen them play or yeah, because yeah. you know you know you're at one of the special gigs yeah, when um yeah. like you know i i went to see um you know it's not a room that has that legendary quality for me yet but i've i've been seeing a lot of shows at o4 center recently uh-huh. um because it's a really it's a really comfortable place to see music in it south is. austin right now um and I went and saw um, Anna Tivill there uh, last week from Portland, um, who I think is one of the best songwriters uh, in the business right now. And um, not as many people showed up to that show as I really would have hoped. Um, it was like a full band gig for her, and I was hoping she would pack that place, and she, you know, she didn't. But I looked around, and I'm like, this crowd is 75% songwriters. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is a reverential room of people yeah. who came to, to study and who came to, to pay uh, – pay respect yeah, um yeah. you know because we know and yeah, yeah. you know that's i love that in austin you know in some of those rooms where you know you realize yeah. you're at the good shows when you see who's there and you're like i made a good choice tonight yeah the people who know are in this yeah, room yeah, yeah, yeah. and we'll all be talking about it you know yeah. and it's one of those things in like austin gigs is that uh in the future if you're at a, a gig that turns out to be legendary someday in the future yeah there's always like a thousand people who claim to be at that show yeah. when there were like 10 <laughs> yeah, people in 10, the room. Yeah, 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 like yeah. if everybody in Austin yeah. who says they were at Johnny Cash at Emo's had, I wasn't. had actually been at that gig. I had a gig at Steamboat that same night, but yes, it was the same year as Beck was there too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. if everyone who said they were at that gig was there, it would have been a 10,000 capacity room. So. It's, I think, yeah, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Or no, pr- no, Prince exactly at Lazona, right? Like it's the same thing. Like yeah. it's uh, yeah, everyone who says they were there can't have possibly been there <laughs> there was one that was uh that i missed that was super legendary uh and i i said no and i andy it was like 19 90 it was either 93 or 94 whenever that uh uh the very first ep of uh live at sine the first jeff buckley oh wow ep he did a tour. Remember that place, Chicago House? Whoa. You know what I'm talking about? I think so, It was yeah. like on a side yeah, street yeah. on, on, uh, on uh, Trinity, I think, right there, right off of 6th Street. He played the there? <laughs> he played there to like probably like 10 people. But I remember Langer was one of the people because he was writing for the Chronicle at the time. And I was doing a Sunday night gig at Steamboat, and he came over, and he was like, hey, you want to come over and watch this guy with me? He's Tim Buckley's son. And I was like, oh, my God, my mom had Tim Buckley records when I was a kid. I'm like, go see that guy. And then, like, he came back afterwards with, like, two other people. And it was like, they had seen a fucking ghost. They were like, you missed it. And I was just like, <laughs> no. Yeah. That's, you know, I've been seeing people, like, talking about the new U2 experience out oh, in, in Las Christ. Vegas. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about those, those Austin shows. Like, my folks told me very early on, like, they saw them in a crowd of probably 10 people on their first U.S. tour at Club Foot in, like, you know, 1980 or something, yeah. 79. <laughs> yeah. So they were really good. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, maybe not play to a billion people in Las Vegas good, but they were they were good. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, to- you never know. You, you come into some of those shows and you walk out and you're like, I think, you know, maybe I've seen the start of something big here. Yeah. <laughs> but I've had those before. 
I definitely there's there's bands where I've been like, and I've been really wrong too a lot of times. Yeah, I'm like this yep. is this is gonna sweep the nation. And then yeah, you know, two years from now you're like, I'll remember those guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What happened to them? <laughs> yeah. Um, um, there was something I was gonna say. Oh, the sphere. Do you want to go? Because I want to go. No, you I'm know, not inviting. Like, hey, let's go. I'm just saying. I mean, yeah. You want to get in a car? Like, I can take the rest <laughs> of the week off and see if we can score some tickets. Um, now, here's the thing about those tickets are like 500 bucks, and which, so it's a whole yeah. scene. Like, you got to fly. You got to get a hotel. It's not. You got to Uber. You got to buy drugs. I mean, not drugs, but you got to get like edibles. I'm not going to go in that thing. Yeah, it's if you're going to go into a <laughs> yeah. full like come sphere on. experience. Yeah, come on. yeah like um, what, what is the right drug to take? For well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go freaky deaky just because I might freak out in there. Yeah. So I'd probably just gummy THC. I uh, see. I, 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 I have panic attacks on, on edibles. Um, so I, every time, I, every time I have an edible, uh, yeah. it's, it's a bad experience. Not that I'm saying that that's a thing that I've done um, before on, on, on tape here, um, or not that I'm saying that I've possibly <laughs> they, ever taken. Do they, do they drug test the creative director of the video game company? <laughs> No, I don't no. think there'd be a video game industry they, there if there weren't energy drinks. And, no, I and drugs. I, uh, I made the mistake a couple of years ago while I was traveling for business of of taking some leftover edibles in California before boarding a long haul flight. Um, and uh, long story short, I forgot how to walk in the San Francisco International Airport. Um, and that was the last. That was the last time. <laughs> we, I had that. we don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I had that in LA like before I went out there and did a gig uh like for uh, uh the city of uh, the tourism the whatever welcome to Austin oh yeah Austin yeah okay. people or whatever yeah like the city or not city whatever council, the tourism yeah. board um, and I was Chamber only there two days but I'd gotten I'd never been to a, a, a dispensary so I went and got like a thing of gummies but like how many gummies are you going to eat? So I had like six gummies left. I ate them all. Yep, yes. And if I you're going to the like airport, you can't down. get on a plane with them. And so what else are you going to do with I them? I was melting down. On, yeah. Like going through security. Like it was coming on as I was in the line. And I was like, oh shit. Oh shit. I'm trying to take off my shoes. It was a whole scene. I just looked over and is that Skunk Baxter? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I thought you were. Yeah, I thought you were like on drugs, and you saw Scott. I was like, I know no, him. No, no, no. I just, I just, I just looked off to my right, and all of a sudden, Skunk Baxter's uh, uh, like yeah. glorious mustache and aviator shades were were staring me down. Do you remember Endosheen? Yeah. Okay, I was in Endosheen. Oh, cool. I was like the fifth, the the keyboard guitar extra guy. I, I did not know that. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so how does skunk one, fit into this? one of my new things is like when someone says something of ambivalence I act like it's a compliment oh no so okay like, oh, yeah, thanks. I, no, I was just like yeah that's, that's... I didn't know you were thanks um, <laughs> it's one of my new bits obviously it's not good uh, uh, he was he loved Endosheen oh it's awesome and they didn't care they uh, they didn't care like they're like oh uh, that was at that at, uh, at ACL like 2003 uh, oh, this uh, this guy is coming to play with us. Uh, this old guy. He's from uh, I don't know, Hollow Notes or something. <laughs> okay, this guy comes walking up. I'm like, <laughs> Skunk Baxter is walking back here right now. And they're like, Oh yes, Skunk. That's his name. Yeah, he's like a cop. That's what they kept on. He's like a cop or something. He's a defense contractor these days, but he's uh, yeah. also one of the best electric guitar players of the 70s. One so so he <laughs> sat in with us. The video's out there. You Holy can find it on YouTube. Shit. I got to go look that up. 
it's kind of he doesn't listen to my show thank god first of all it's awesome he's super cool but he uses like a fucking zoom super processed uh, like that like the weirdest like ch- like cheese chorus like oh buddy. it was real weird yeah it was real weird <laughs> Oh man, like his tone is so clean yeah. on like the old uh, Dan records. Like he's got oh. such a beautiful like that's clean tone. Thing. Yeah, that's the thing though is like when you think about it, like those guys, they're they're like whatever new is like the cool thing. Yeah, and so like he doesn't like I don't want to use some old Ibanez tube screamer into like a 1964 uh, Pro Junior. Yeah, I want to use my Zoom thing into my computer amp. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When I'm like when I think of him, I'm like I want to hear a vintage Strat through yeah. a good amplifier with nothing in the signal chain in between. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Except Michael McDonald's sweet voice in the background. Oh, I mean, if you can have Michael McDonald, never say no to Michael McDonald. Never say no. Never say no. Like, that's, if I could get those harmonies on, like, on everything, man, it just came home. Pig! Yeah. yeah. Everything you know, would be better. You know who I had on here? Do you know who Lanice Bent is? No. She's the first engineer, female engineer, to engineer a platinum recording which was Blondie's Eat to the Beat, but she was nice. assistant engineer on Asia. And There's she was there the Michael McDonald day. She was pushing record, like it's making the hair in my arm stand up, and stop for the, like she was the tape op on that fucking session. I like to think that he did that in one take, that he just came in and was pig, and just like, she pieced. said it was pretty unbelievable. <laughs> I, uh, I, heard a, uh, I heard an interview with him with, uh, with uh, uh, the Quest Love, you ever listen yeah. to that podcast? And um, and he, man, he was like. Sometimes they would ask me to do stuff, and he was he was young too. He was good, but he he was like he was like they would ask me to do stuff that was like such close harmonies that I was like I don't like. A couple times he was just like I can't, and they're <laughs> like okay go home. But otherwise, there's sometimes they were so hard that he would just be like sing the sing the sing the thing I'm supposed to sing, and they sing it by itself, and then tell me the next harmony. And then take that other one out, and I'll just sing this like so. He'd sing like four different melodies that would it's end up being the harmony. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't work with Steely Dan. Like no. I, I couldn't. I love I love their records. Like I'm I am I am a, a total like non closeted Steely Dan fan. Yeah. But like how I like to make music and how I am comfortable making music yeah. is pretty much antithetical to everything that Donald Fagan is. Me too. Me too. I'm a lot more. Po- <laughs> I actually didn't start liking them until the last like ten years. It, the the gateway for me was um, his solo record, The Nightfly, um, oh, which yeah. I think is one of the ten best records anyone's ever made. Um, and I, I remember hear that from people. I was given a copy of that in high school, I think. Yeah, and it was one of those where I was like, oh yeah, the guy from Steely Dan. And I think my I think my dad gave me a copy of that and was like, you're gonna love this record. And like, it's such a perfectly weird encapsulation of like this alternate kind of future, like 1950s futurism hybrid. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's a picture perfect record. Every note on that record is exactly as it was plotted to be. And somehow it still works. It still feels organic and it still feels like really, it tells a little story. And it was one of those where I, just, I listened to that record, you know, a hundred times on repeat after I got it and was like, Oh, this is something. This is this is something completely different than anything I've heard. Maybe and I'll I don't think I can make it. one of those. Yeah. But but man, it's good. Maybe like, I'll listen to it's it. It's a good record. Huh. Influential. Very influential. I mean, influential for me, even though I've never made anything that sounds remotely like right, it. It's still right. when I think of what a good, tight, like thirty minute record is supposed to be, like yeah. that is like cause it's short too. It's like one of those like I'm I'm totally gonna put it in my on in my car on my drive home now. Yeah. Um like it's it's short. 
it says what it needs to, it gets out, and it does it in a way that was very intentional and very obviously crafted to be exactly what it is. Nothing's a mistake. They're really good at that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's one thing they're really good at. Yeah, seriously. Um, Yeah, it took me it took me years and years because I really just I thought that they were just too pristine and too like meticulous. Then I started listening to the lyrics. And I was like, oh, they're man, arcane. They're weird. Yeah, these guys are like some dark shit going on. The yeah. Underbelly. Yeah, no, they're they're arcane. Yeah. They're they're, you know, rhymes and concepts and things put together in ways where you're like, I don't know what's happening here, but I want to know more. Yeah. Which Brilliant I, melodies I love that, too. right? Yeah, like that's yeah. exactly what like all of my favorite artists are the yeah. ones that pull me in lyrically like that because they're the they're they're questions, right? They they dangle things out there for you where you're like well, that sounds cryptic as hell, and now I want yeah. to know if that's supposed to mean something or if it's just supposed to be cryptic so that I put meaning on it. And either way, I like it. Genius. So. Yeah. yeah. Donald Fagan, man. This has been great talking to you, William. Likewise. Likewise. Um, Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, anytime. We, uh, should, uh, we should hang out sometime. Absolutely. We, we should go, go to a, Donald Fagan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go not eat edibles. Uh, and, yeah. And, and if and, we make plans to go to you 2 at the Sphere... You know what the next show is supposed to be? The rumor is fish, which I understand. Because there's this conversation going like, you two can open this thing, but like, who else? Like, Pearl Jam isn't the kind of band that plays in the sphere, but they could fill it up for a few weeks. Yeah. Maybe Metallica could do it. I mean, but if Fish plays there, is it called the Fishbowl then? <laughs> like, it'd be really hard no, to fish avoid. Fish makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I could see like that. I mean, that. Jam bands in general make sense in there. Like you could probably do like a, you know. I feel like you in the videos that I've seen, it's so steep in like those upper things. You'd have to like close them off because people on so many drugs probably shouldn't just be dealing tumbling with tumbling down stairs. the audience. You get like you know, you get a double thrill. People like, died at the fish show. Yeah, they just w- fell down. Widespread string cheese comes in, and there's an entire like just landslide of human beings down the uh, down the back end. Oh, that's dark, man. That's. Um, yeah, like I'm trying to think of the artists who would who would occupy that space. It's and weird, right? Most of them are dead, unfortunately. Yeah. Like I'd go see the Prince experience there, but you know he's McCartney gone. McCartney could do it. McCartney could do it. But you also like you can't. I don't think you can just go in there and do a couple of shows. Like I, th- I don't think it makes. It sense would need to be a month long. Like yeah, you know I I could imagine the E Street Band. But he wouldn't utilize this. He wouldn't. I mean, he he did He's like Pearl Jam. Like well, he, he did the same. Thing. He did his Broadway thing, which yeah. is his way of doing that. You know, right. it's like what happens when Springsteen stays in one place for two months. He does that show. He doesn't do the Vegas thing, right? Um, if he did that thing and had like a fucking uh, <laughs> twenty-story picture of his dad's face while he's telling <laughs> stories, it'd be kind of frightening. I was thinking more of an East Street band, like full band, like arena kind of experience. Um, but yeah. But it's so much about them. The other thing is like when you're watching those things of the sphere, like the, the band, so the, I remember the first one that I watched like that night. They looked tiny. I couldn't find them yeah. at first. I was like, where's, where does the band even? And I was like, whoa, that place is huge. Yeah. It's like a little square with U2 on it. It's, you know, I think we're, we're almost out of the era of, of arena acts, the kind of people who can yeah, like, uh, we are. you know, I, I think that, that Taylor Swift managed to pull a coup last or this year with the eras thing where she like really reinvigorated the arena spectacle. Yeah. But in general, most of those bands, like as they die off, other arena bands are not replacing them. No, they're not. So, no, that's you know. been a talk for a long time. Yeah. 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 All right, dude. It's not going to be me. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> The fucking William Wallace. 
yeah. sphere experience. Just, yeah, put Harpo and Amelia up on in, in giant on the sphere. <laughs> That's the thing is like a solo acoustic guy. They're gonna have DJs in there. Like, where is that? Guy? You're not even gonna see one guy in there. Yeah, that's you know you get the fat boy split slim experience in there, and he's like a tiny dot down here with his little deck and yeah. his laptop. There's a, there's a note to end it on. <laughs> yeah. All right. Great talking to you, William. <laughs> Likewise. Thanks for having me. All right, that was William Wallace. Check out his album, Lighthouse Keeper. Go to williamwallacemusic.com for all of your, your William Wallace needs. And you can see him next Wednesday at New World Deli, Wednesday, November 22nd. That's Thanksgiving Eve at 7 p.m. Go in there, man. Have some pie. Have some dinner. I love that. I love that place. That place makes delicious food. Great music at night. Great place to see a show. Great place to see the great William Wallace. Go to williamwallacemusic.com for all of your William Wallace needs. All right? Uh, All right. Have a great weekend, whatever you're doing this weekend, gang. Don't forget when you're out there checking out williamwallacemusic.com, you can subscribe to this podcast wherever it is you find podcasts, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Stitcher. No, not Stitcher. Stitcher's gone. What am I saying? I'm on autopilot. Ask your Alexa to play it. Ask your Google Nest to play it. Tell them, man, play the latest episode of How Did I Get Here? And they just do it. That's what robots are for. To promote my podcast, goddammit. That's what I'm saying, baby. Thank you so much for listening. William Wallace, love you, buddy. Have a great weekend. Talk to you soon. Let's get down. But my name is not important now and neither is my station. Here lies the only home I've known the stars. My destination. of electricity and ozone in the air are the energy and the glory oh the spark that gave them breath the iron and obsidian laid heavy on their brains when first I came to understand that nothing really dies it just changes rearranges Space between the lines I felt myself elongate Stretched across the field of time I saw my name splashed on a sea A shimmer and a shine Turning for the door, 
Blazing circles in her eyes and diamonds in her hair There's carbon laced in carbon Laying braids across her back The lattice cracks and shatters But the heart remains intact All the growing paranoia Of the blackness in the sky When these seconds, minutes, hours, days And years before us lie Searching forward, salty veins to crash and fall Until the channel widens and the sea reclaims us all And then my words become a sextant meant to aid my navigation I'm born across this endless sea of stars Destination